helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Now, here is your host, Ken Coleman. Broadcasting from the Music City, we are so thankful for the download, and we want to say Merry Christmas from everyone at Entree Leadership. Hard to believe that 2015 is about to wrap up. 2016 is literally peeking around the corner, and on this Christmas week, we hope that you have had a wonderful year and that you have an even better year in 2016. Thank you so much for allowing us to walk alongside the heroic work that you are doing to prop up and propel this economy forward. Great episode. I feel like it's a Christmas episode without us going overboard and trying to theme it to Christmas. I just think that it is a, a great feel. Our feature interview is with Mick Ebeling. Now, Mick embodies what it means to be an entree leader. Mick came to us from Scott Harrison, who was one of our most popular episodes this past year. Scott, after our conversation, Scott said, you got to interview this guy named Mick Ebeling. He's the author of a book called Not Impossible, The Art and Joy of Doing What Couldn't Be Done. And as an organization called Not Impossible, and they are doing what many would think would be impossible. And it's changing lives. You'll hear that story that's coming up in just a matter of moments. Also, we're going to do something we've never done before, and that's feature our first story. We've been telling you for several episodes that we'd like to hear your stories about how Entree Leadership and the principles are impacting you and what it looks like practically. We're not looking for, you know, letters of appreciation to tell us how great we are. That's not what we want. We want to hear your stories of success and boy, oh boy, did we get one. You're going to hear just that brief story. We recorded that phone call with one of our very own listeners and how an Entree Leadership principal has played out. It's a touching, touching story. And then Chris Hogan will stop by. This is fun. Former host of the Entree Leadership Podcast, one of our Ramsey personalities, speaks at all of our Entree Leadership One Day events. He's got something new coming around the corner, and we're very excited to tell you about it. So uh, that is what's coming at you. And as always, it's brought to you by our good friends at Infusionsoft. They are helping you, the small businessman and woman, win big. Go to infusionsoft.com slash entree to get plugged in. Well, I'm going to get right to this Mick Ebeling interview. Um, I'll just say this. I am so blessed to get to talk to the men and women I get to talk to as a part of this ongoing conversation. But there's a certain few every once in a while that just fire your soul. You know what I mean? You just kind of walk out and you're like, whoa, that was awesome. Massive credit to Scott Harrison that I mentioned at the top of the podcast. Kind of led us to Mick, but I want to give huge kudos to the young man that is such a huge part of this podcast, and that is Eric, the producer. He went after Mick, found him, uh, cold call, if you will, even though we had some type of tie-in, and made this all happen. And so this is going to inspire you. I'm going to get right to this. You're going to love this conversation. This is a man who looks impossible in the eye and chuckles. He's Mick Evelyn. Well, Mick, uh, I love the title of the book, Not Impossible, The Art and Joy of Doing What Couldn't Be Done. But it's, it's so much more than just the title of a book. This is the way you've been living for quite some time. And so before we dive into the book and some of the great truth for these leaders that are listening in today, I want to start with... Uh, that belief, where does that come from for you and your story? That's a great question. Uh, and you're pretty good at questions. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I would say that belief originated from, it, I think it originates from two places. One, being a producer 
Mm-hmm. Uh, coming from that world of having to produce things, you're typically challenged by your clients or by your project or by the story to try to pull off something that's ridiculous. It's, it's literally impossible. And you really don't have a choice but to pull it off because whatever it might be would crumble if you don't get that particular thing done. So I think just <laughs> over time, you just get used to saying, sure, yeah, let's do it. And then you <laughs> hang up the phone and you're like, what the heck? How am I going to pull this off? Then you go about doing it. And that, I think, muscle over time just builds and develops to, to now we just do that naturally. That's part of uh, our DNA here at Not Impossible is it's something that we call commit and then figure it out. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. That's the title of chapter three of the book. And I love that you refer to this as a muscle because it really does have to be developed and trained and built up to be able to handle the next challenge. But I want to go back because I love this, commit, then figure it out. At some point, this whole concept comes from the ability to look at fear right square in the eye and say, screw it, we're doing this, going right into it. Uh, give me a, a recent story or, or a story that sticks out to you is when you realize that you can step into fear and defeat it by actually just committing. Well, that stepping into fear, we contextualize and, and look at from the standpoint of looking at something that you consider or you realize you're kind of struck with the fact that it's absurd. Mm-hmm. We call it a revolution against the absurd. When you see something and you say, whoa, 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 wait a second, hang on, that, that shouldn't be that way, or, or shock, what do you mean it's that way? It can't be that way. And the perfect example is the, one of the first things that we created was a thing called the iWriter. And an iWriter was a revolution against the fact that what is called ocular recognition technology, things that allow people who are paralyzed, who have ALS or trapped-in syndrome, it gives them ability to communicate with their eyes. We discovered, by happen chance, discovered an artist who had been laying in a bed for seven years and he had been communicating through a piece of paper, running his finger along a piece of paper. And when he got to a letter, he would blink and his family would write that letter down. And that's how in those letters would form words, words would form sentences. And that's how he would actually communicate, which is painstaking and preposterous, right? That was in 2008 when we discovered him. And for us, my first response was, wait a second, hang on. Um, what about Stephen Hawking machines? What about Christopher Reed? What about all these other things that exist? And his family said, oh yeah, those things exist, but not for us because we don't have insurance or money. So they're way too expensive for us to, to be able to do that. And so that was a, no, 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 come on. That's ridiculous. That's, that's absurd. And we set a course on trying to correct that and change that. So we came up with the iWriter which does exactly the same thing as, well, it's, it's a lesser version of many of those really expensive things, but it took that need of having to actually use, you know, the rudimentary way he was doing before. And it actually gave him an ability to draw, gave him ability to draw with his eyes. Mm. And we did it, when we did it, we did it for less than a hundred bucks. And now, right now, you can do it for about under, under 20 bucks. We can do it for about 14, 15 bucks now. Which is insane. I mean, I can't even process that. So let me ask you this. How much of this technology do you understand? Are you, would you consider yourself a big technology guy? Or I heard you use the word we multiple times. Are you just the guy that goes, this is absurd. It shouldn't be that way. I know some very talented, smart people, and I'm going to be the engine behind this, but we've got to solve this. Exactly. What you just said. <laughs> That's what I thought, which I, I, I love. I don't, 
we try to, I live my life trying to be what I call the dumbest guy in the room. Yeah, I like that. Because if you, if you do that, then you're always around people who are smarter and you're always learning. And as long as you continue to ask the question, well, why can't that be done? Or why is that impossible? And you look at examples around the world that exist around your life, around the blocks, around wherever, of what I call kind of morsels of permission, right? Mm. Maybe it's not exactly what you were looking to solve or exactly what you wanted to do, but there's a little bit over here and a little bit over there and a little bit over here. And if you could see me in the podcast, you'll see my hands flailing around right now. I'm talking <laughs> with my hands. I but love it. You take all those and you pull those little bits together and put them in the soup and you're like, oh, wait, okay, so this is possible. And then you just get the people who are far smarter than you to kind of help push that belief into a reality. The question that's jumping out at me like nuts right now is why is everything so expensive? And here's the context. You mentioned the Christopher Reeve, the Stephen Hawking, and everybody heard that and they go, okay, yep, absolutely. We've seen their machines. We've seen them interact with them. We can see how that's so expensive. But then you come at this thing and it's less than 30 bucks. I thought you said $14 or something. So I guess my question is, what are the hurdles to creating more low-cost solutions to things that traditionally have been extremely expensive? Both are using technology. Let me answer it, not with the hurdles per se, but what I consider is the Excalibur. Like the reason, the, the, yeah. The, the key. Yeah. You ready? I can't wait. Being absolutely clueless. Oh. Approaching it from a place of naivete where you look at it and you look at it from more of the logic perspective. Right. And you say, okay, I, I get it. I get it that that's, that's what that's doing. But what about this? And what about that? And what if we approach it in this way? Or what about these things that exist? So here's the perfect example. An ocular recognition device does what? It tracks your eye. It right. tracks your pupil. So we just took something that is a tracking device, a.k.a. a web camera. We focused it back on the pupil, made wrote code so that the code tracked the pupil, that the webcam tracked the pupil. So we've just created it. Now, were other devices that do it better? Absolutely. Other devices that are, that are more refined, that are prettier? Definitely. But we kind of took that and completely disrupted the entire way of thinking about that. And then since that time... The device, the other people have taken it and they've said, wait a second, look at what these guys did. We're going to make it better. In fact, less than a year after we had created this, we got an email from this group who said, oh, Mr. Ebling, we saw this and it was great. They were based in, um, out in Korea and you know, we compliment you on everything you're doing. And it was compliment, compliment, compliment. And I should have seen this coming a mile away. They said, oh, but by the way, we've created something that was better. Mm-hmm. And, and our response back, my response back was, fantastic, send it to us. We'll, we'll replace what we have with what you have. Because the purpose of this wasn't to create the best ocular recognition device. It was to create the best ocular recognition device for attempt at that time. And if someone had something that was better, then we'll use it. And then that group ended up going and helping ALS patients all over Korea. So mm-hmm. that's, that's how we approach it, is it. It's more of how do you look at things and say, okay, Here's another example. We're, we're working on a device right now that's going to disrupt the entire gait training world. Gait training is what it sounds like, gait to walk and to train kind of to help kids with cerebral palsy mm-hmm. learn to walk. 
Well, the devices that we saw out in the marketplace were essentially treadmills and robotic armatures or, and kind of attachments on the sides of kids' legs. These devices were half a million dollars. And we said, wait a second, it's a treadmill. And it's, yes, it's some complicated stuff on the side of their legs, but half a million dollars? And so we set a course and we were going to be releasing something um, in early 2016 where we're going to completely disrupt that whole concept of that you, for gait training for kids with cerebral palsy needs to be that expensive. And it's because it's just the logic. Like, why does that need to be that expensive? It doesn't. Okay, so let's make it cheaper. Let's make it accessible. <laughs> that's what I love. I mean, that's huge. I mean, here's the deal. The heart of this is we have an entrepreneurial audience. That's why we call it Entree Leadership. Folks, as you're listening to this, again, the one fabric, if there's just one, then I think there's several. But the biggest fabric that ties all of us together as entrepreneurs is that we see a problem and we say, this needs a solution. That's what... Mick, that's what you and your team have been doing. Uh, there's so much in the book. Now, by the way, I, I want to tease the audience on this. I can't remember the last time I've done this in a conversation. But, <laughs> but Mick, this is between you and me, and then the audience will understand why later. I don't want you to say anything about Project Daniel yet, because that's the video I watched moments before we started taping the conversation. We're going to get to that later, so don't go into that in, in any of your answers. Is that cool? Deal. All right, that's the deal. Okay, now I want to get back into the book, because the book is so fantastic. Uh, I want to talk about the three rules of how. Uh, as a professional question asker, I mean, already the entire conversation is really that you're a guy who just says, why, why not, how come, you know, all the questions there. And you just keep, you said that, you just keep driving these questions until people figure out, well, there is a cheaper way to do it. Uh, but I want you to, to just give us a summary of that chapter and specifically the three rules of how. So because this gets asked all the time of how, how do you do this and how is this possible or how do you make things not impossible, it, we did a, a, an examination on, okay, what if we really boil this down, what is it? And I've, I've talked about a couple things, right? But the first rule of this is what we call singularity of focus. Mm -hmm. And there's two things about that. One of our mantras is help one, help many. That's the lens that we look through in terms of every story we tell and every project that we take on. And... By doing that, what we've learned through that is it's so incredibly focusing and it, it turns you into a laser beam in terms of how you're going about it. But what that means is by having that focus of uh, solving that problem for that one person, but you then look for ways to have it so it affects many people. Sure. And it sounds so simple. It sounds ridiculously simple. Actually, as I say it, it's like, well, yeah, okay, sure. But the, the case in point would be if I said to to all your listeners right now, all right, we've got a hunger problem. Christmas is coming up. Let's solve hunger in the United States on Christmas Day. Who's in? Everybody put your podcasting hands up. Right. Right. People would kind of put them up slow. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in. But there's that realm of understanding of like solve hunger in the U.S. That's a massive issue. Mm. But if I said, hey, there's a guy that I walk by every day on my way to work. And I know he's going to go hungry at, at Christmas time. Who wants to send me a buck and we'll buy this guy the best Christmas dinner he's ever had? Mm -hmm. Like, poof, we'd, we'd get more than a couple bucks. We'd buy, be able to buy him more than a Christmas dinner. Because the second I say, let's just help that one person, it becomes quantifiable. Most people don't come from the, have the net worth of Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or Richard Branson. They can attack malaria. They can attack you know, these massive issues. Most people have the ability 
to help one person or a couple people. But by helping that one person, then you all of a sudden it builds that muscle and you say, okay, I can help one person. I can help, maybe I'll help two people. And then someone else does it and someone else does it. And it's kind of like the Ronco commercial, but wait, there's more, but wait, there's more people that you can help. So that singularity of focus is, is, is a thing that we've, we truly treat that as our Excalibur that quantifies and makes possible every single thing that we do at Not Impossible. Mm, boy, I love that. So the second thing we do is a principle called give it away. And as an entrepreneur, you're constantly looking at how do I scale? How do I make something so that it can go bigger than just me, right? As an inventor, if you're creating an app or you've got a product or a service, um, to get something into the marketplace for us what we learned was that when you start to do things from an altruistic motivation to actually help people and you give it to them and you let them actually experience that gestalt that they get when they actually use it, it has this incredible multiplier effect. One, the story starts to spread. Two, you start to get an ability to kind of test your product and test what you have so that it starts to create this cycle. And if you think about the development cycle or the release cycle, typically you start with an idea, then you go through development, you, you build, you test, you build, you test, and then you finally release it. But you're in a closed loop. You're, you're in an insular environment. It's everybody who's on your payroll or it's everybody who you work with. When you give something away, when you work in that spirit of open source, and it doesn't have to be open source, but when you work in that spirit of open source, the principle is to release early and release often. So you put something into the marketplace that you know has some bumps and bruises and, and warts and scrapes on it, but you get it out there because then you're able to get feedback and you get feedback quickly so you can revise. So if you imagine, again, I'm drawing in the air, this long arc of a product development cycle. Now imagine a bunch of loops under that umbrella of an arc. That's how when you release really early and release often, you're able to get things out. So you release early, release often, you get it out there, get feedback, do it again, revise, do it again, revise, do it again, revise. So that giving it away is incredibly powerful because in the time that it would typically take someone to get a project from start to finish, we'll have 10 different versions of that. They would have already been tested. So we've already figured out all those initial scrapes and bruises. Mm. That's beautiful. I love that. Okay, so I, I teased Project Daniel, and I think this is the perfect time to kind of place this in here because um, it, it's impressive enough with what you did with iWriter. And by the way, you did it for one guy. You, you saw a story, you said, we're going to go solve this, and you figured it out. Um, <laughs> the the video I watched on, on Project Daniel blew my mind. I'm not sure I still understand it, but I want you to explain what is Project Daniel and where is the project at right now? Okay. So I'll, I'll give you the, I'll try to give you the, the, the super condensed version of, of Project Daniel. Um, Not Impossible was continuing on after the iRider. We had gained a lot of momentum. A lot of people were following us and, and tracking us and, and saying, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And we were really starting to have great conversations with big brands, big Fortune 500 companies who wanted us to go out and, and do a Not Impossible project that they could get behind. And Fred said, hey, you got to check out this guy named Dr. Tom. And Dr. Tom, is a, and I went back and, at home and I researched this guy. And he was a, a doctor in the Nuba Mountains, which is an area between South Sudan and Sudan. And it's an area that's constantly bombarded by the president of Sudan um, to try to drive the Nubans out so that he can kind of move in and, and take over there. It's an, it's an oil resource-rich area. And this article talked about all the great work that Dr. Tom was doing but that he hated to do uh, amputations, which begs the question, why is Dr. Tom performing amputations? So dug in a little bit and realized 
this this guy bombing all these people to drive them out was causing a a population of amputees. And there was one particular story that just kicked me in the gut about this young boy named Daniel who was out tending his family's goats and cows. He was out. He heard the bombers come. He didn't have a place to flee because typically there's foxholes because they're so used to it by now they can just flee into foxholes. Didn't have a place to flee, so he jumped behind a tree, wrapped his arms around a tree. The bomb went off not far from where he was. The tree protected his body from the blast, but the blast blew off his arms. So I'm now, as I'm scrolling down this story, I now see this picture of this armless Sudanese boy. He's all bandaged up after Dr. Tom had performed this amputation. That, that got me enough, but what really got me was when, when Daniel woke up, he said, if I could die, I would because now I'm going to be such a burden to my family. Mm, wow. And if you have kids, yeah. or you even like kids, you don't even yeah. have to have them. That's you know? right. That's right. Or if you just have a heart. Yeah. You just, can you imagine a child saying that? No. So that kicked us into and kicked me into, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but commit, then figure it out. Yeah. We started to go. We surrounded ourselves with people who make us feel stupid. We'd come up with a, a bunch of approaches. A lot of those approaches were massive failures and were just completely bad ideas. But that one led to another release early release. Often we got that out. And eventually I flew to Sudan, was able to get across the border with the protection of the, of the gorillas there, the SPLA. We got from South Sudan across into Sudan and in the Nuba Mountains. We set up shop there. And um, four months to the day that I read the article about Daniel we made him a 3D printed prosthetic arm and Daniel fed himself for the first time in two years since losing his arms. Yeah, it's just, it's just extraordinary. Now, how, what's the cost of the 3D prosthetic? Uh, at the, what we made with Daniel there, not including the, the actual printers themselves, was $100. Unbelievable. And, and most prosthetic arms you can kind of test, although that price is continuing to drop, which is really exciting that plays into the role that Not Impossible plays in this world is to get in there and really shake mm -hmm. things up and disrupt things. Those numbers are dropping, but most prosthetic arms are upwards ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. It's unbelievable. So j just a technical question, you're, you're 3D printing, I guess, the material, the plastic, whatever you'd call it, and hooking it up to all the technology which allows him to move his, his fingers. In the video, he's picking things up, he threw something mm -hmm. to you. Uh, just explain how that works quickly. So the thing about this is this arm is mechanical. It's not robotic. So if all the listeners stick their hands out right now in front of them, stick it straight out, fingers, everything's just pointing straight out. Now imagine strings, guitar strings that run through your fingers, through your hand, across your wrist, down around your forearm, and they go through a little eye hook on your elbow and then connect to the back of your tricep. Now if you bend your arm, what happens to those fingers? Those fingers have to do something because those yeah. guitar strings are taut, right? So if you bend your arm, it pulls those strings. If those strings get pulled, something has to flex. The knuckles of the hand flex, mm -hmm. and that's what collapses the hand. So yeah. the act of picking something up or collapsing your fingers is just a byproduct of flexing or of bending your arm. So there's no robotics. There's no batteries. There's no nothing. There's strings and rubber bands and plastic. So the question that's often asked is, well, what happens if it breaks? you go print a new finger. That's what you do. And oh, it takes a lot less gosh. time. Yes. So that, that simplicity, it took Daniel maybe all of about seven seconds to figure it out. And he was mm. picking stuff up. And again, what's interesting here is less than four months. So you got a bunch of smart people in a room and came up with an inexpensive but very practical way to change this kid's life. 
that's what happened in less than four months from creation to implementation. That's unbelievable. So we're driving this conversation towards a mindset for you folks as you listen to this. Chapter 15 of the book is entitled The Revolution Against the Absurd, colon, your turn. I absolutely love that. (laughs) Um, How do we, as a huge audience here of entrepreneurs and leaders, how do we really dive into this revolution? What's happening and how do we get involved, Mick? What's What's the encouragement here? But the first thing is just to completely get it out of your head that you can't do this. It's just a refusal to believe that you can't do something. Every single person who's listening to this right now is absolutely 100% qualified to go change their world and the world. That's, I think, the first thing to think about. Um, with Not Impossible, I would encourage you to look for morsels of permission is what we call them. These little stories, these tidbits of things that make you think like, wait a second, if that's possible, then maybe this is possible. So watch us. Go to Not Impossible now. Go to notimpossible.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Look at all the things that we're doing. Share the book. Uh, we're Hopefully next year we'll be uh, coming out with a podcast to continue to propel these stories. And the purpose of these stories are to basically tell people about these things that make people think, well, wait a second. If that's possible, then this is possible. Right. Life is a big if-then statement. And if something is possible here, then surely it can be possible over here. And surely it can be possible with you as that catalyst to make it happen. Wow. I would guess that you're very optimistic about the future of entrepreneurism. Is that fair? I, I don't know how to say yes more emphatically. Yeah, that's what I thought. We hear so much bad stuff all the time, Mick. You know, I've been talking about this with several guests, and I'm going to throw this at you and let you smack it back. We hear all this bad news all the time, and that's what drives eyeballs and clicks. We know that. Uh, specifically around the economy, things like that. Yet, we there's people like you out there where literally, you know, things are changing for the better. And I just am curious, how do you combat all the naysaying and all the uh, the sky is falling nonsense? So when you look at all the stuff that's going on around the world, the way we think and the, and the mentality that we've adopted here is this. This is statistics, right? This isn't anything but statistics. Wherever you're listening to this right now, if you look around, everything that you can touch or see right now was impossible before it was possible. So before you could look at it, before you could touch it, before you could look around, wherever you're at, everything you see wasn't possible at one point. A cell phone, if you're listening to it on a cell phone or a computer or maybe you're in your car or wherever it might be, every single thing was impossible. So logically, if then, right, back to the if then statement, if everything that was impossible is now possible, then wouldn't that lead us to believe that everything that's impossible now is on the same trajectory? Wouldn't it be narcissistic for us? Wouldn't it be a complete break of the history of everything if suddenly we've discovered that one thing that's going to remain impossible forever? Now, maybe it's not in our lifetime, but it certainly would go against everything that has come before us to say that, no, that's going to remain impossible forever. Teleportation, is that impossible? Heck yeah, it's impossible. Is it going to remain possible for our lifetime? I would, I think that's probably a safe bet. Is it going to remain impossible forever? Don't know, because right now what's happening is my voice is being teleported to you right now. So if we've figured it out with a voice, then maybe we can figure it out with atoms. 
maybe there's a way that we're going to be able to build upon that. Mm. So the point is this. If we're on the trajectory of things going from impossible to possible, then why not have it be you? Why not you be the person who's going to take it from the impossible to the possible? And kind of the line that we live by over here is, if not now, when? And if not me, who? Mm, Love that. The book is Not Impossible, The Art and Joy of Doing What Couldn't Be Done. Mick, this was so much fun. I got to tell you, I love what you do, and uh, I absolutely love this book. I highly recommend it, folks. Uh, Go get this online or a brick-and-mortar store. It is something that will inspire you. So, Mick, we know you're busy. You're doing stuff that's changing the world, literally, and we're grateful for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that inspired you the way it did me. One thing I want to give you, this is beautiful. This is one small takeaway from the conversation. And uh, we actually saw this quote in in an Intel ad uh, that Mick is a part of. Uh, But he, he basically mentioned this, I think, a couple times in the conversation. But he says, my process is you commit, then figure out how in the heck you're going to do it. Now, you purist out there, don't get too uptight with that. But there's something to be said for that kind of courage. When you know it's right, and you know it should be, and then you believe it could be. That's what he's talking about there. Fantastic stuff. Go to notimpossible.com, notimpossible.com, to learn more about all the stories you just heard. And, of course, Mick and the book. I think it's great stuff. I think this is the kind of thing that we need to refresh our brains and our hearts with every once in a while as we continue the work that matters so very much. Well, uh, I want to get right to this phone call. This is fun. Uh, this is a listener. His name is Patton Gleason. He's the president of Thrivenant Retail Services out of Richmond, Virginia. And he answered the call. He sent us an email, told us the story that you're about to hear. We got on the phone with him, and we're going to shorten this for you. And I simply asked him to share the story of how gratitude has played itself out in his business and ultimately has affected he and his team personally. This has got a little military bent to it, which is always special. If you're like me, and I know many of you believe so much in the valued work that our men and women of our armed services do. So here it is, my phone call with Patton Gleason, where I asked him, would you share the story with our audience that you emailed us? This is what he said. Over the past few months, I I discovered Entree Leadership. It was about the time that it connected with me personally. I thought, man, wouldn't it be great if there was some way I could apply this to my business? And so after really getting diving super deep into Entree Leadership and getting involved with the the podcast, right about that time, um, we made a a really big effort to to kind of work on the the gratitude piece. It's one thing to, to have gratitude as a value, but if I can make it an action, I can make it a habit. And so we made a, um, a conscious effort that any time we saw packages going out for servicemen and women that we would write a, a thank you note in it. Um, and we really don't even talk about the purchase. This is far more about thank you for, for being a hero. Thank you for putting it all on the line and for your very selfless acts of bravery and courage. They owe us absolutely nothing. We, we really do owe them everything. And um, a few weeks ago, I walked into the office and had a uh, a package waiting for me, and it was a uh, a package that had come from a military base. And when I opened it, it was a flag that was kind of folded in a very formal manner, and then a certificate saying that the flag had been on a mission in Iraq and Syria. And then from the customer whom we had sent the note to, this really, really nice 
note and, and amazingly and amazingly thanking us. And the note says, Patton, I ordered a pair of shoes from your company about a month ago. Uh, you hand wrote a note and placed it in the package. I just wanted to say thank you for this act of kindness. It is a great feeling to know that there are people back home that genuinely care for our troops. Once again, thanks. Aim high, fly, fight, win. So it was something, you know, one that we had never, you know, n- never expected, but to get such a, a kind and, and really generous gift of, of gratitude completely reinforced that by being a better person, by being a better man, you can have a, a better business. That felt really good. My business and my life is way better when I'm not in the center of it. And being able to express things like gratitude and not just doing lip service to, to being a servant leader, but really making that a, a priority has been a complete and total game changer. And this was really evidence of not only you're doing a business, but you made an extra effort to put gratitude out there, and that's going to impact lives. And if you can impact and touch enough people, you're going to thrive and your business is going to thrive. Folks, that's why we're doing this. And frankly, that's why we've asked you to email your stories. We want to feature you on the podcast. This gives tremendous lift to this tribe that we call Entree Leadership. So podcast at entreeleadership.com. Podcast at entreeleadership.com. Send your stories. We want to feature them on this episode. Well, uh, this is fun. While I was talking here, uh, the big man himself, Chris Hogan, my dear friend, I've come to just know this man more deeply and admire him more deeply, love him more deeply. He really is the real deal, and he is Chris Hogan. Great to have you in the studio again, buddy. It has been a very long time. I see you all the time in the office. We travel together, but yet we can't get you in the studio. Wait, you this is poor planning on. on our part. You will not have me that on. That is not true, folks. That is not true. <laughs> the fact of the matter is I don't like you to hear his voice next to mine <laughs> because it just kind of it, it shows you folks what you're missing. Hey, dude, listen. I want to tell you, you have done a phenomenal job on uh, it. It's very nice. No, I'm serious. Uh, just listening to it, you and Eric, you guys have raised the bar and pushed forward. I'm impressed and proud. Well, we're having fun. Speaking of impressed and proud, uh, buddy boy, January 2016, maybe one of the biggest months of your life. Outside of getting married and your three boys, this is a big deal. The book, Retire Inspired, is coming out. And this is fun. I think this is worth going back because uh, our longtime listeners know you very well. You still speak at all of our Entree Leadership One Day events with Dave and Christy. But this retirement thing became a thing for you, a thing that you care deeply about. Take us back to that. When did this start bubbling up for you? Well, it was one of those things, Ken, where I was sitting down with people and doing financial coaching. And so I'm working with people individually on their situation. And you could hear the hopelessness. You could hear the regret. You could hear the desire to wish they would have learned some things before. And so in hearing that and seeing that, it was one of those things where I understood that this was an issue. People need help with money. And so the guidance side. And so I can't get out and give everybody the information. And so it became that time and ability kind of factor. But the opportunity to be able to put it in writing for people to be able to read in their homes, to be able to share with friends and to help their parents was an incredible opportunity. And so that's kind of where it all stemmed from. All right. So release date is January? January the 11th. Oh, my goodness. So here's the deal. We, we had you on because we want to talk a little bit about this. So we'll tell you a little bit more about the book. It's, it's available for pre-sale right now. We've got some really cool goodies that we're going to talk about momentarily. But you have really become super practical on this at chrishogan360.com, which is your website. You've got a tool 
You call it the RIQ. What is that, and then how does it work? Well, the RIQ is essentially the Retire Inspired Quotient. I would get people, Ken, to ask me all the time, how much am I going to need to retire on, Chris? And so I'd sit down with them, and I'd walk through an hour and a half to be able to show them the dollar amount they're going to need. And so I talked to Dave about this a few years ago, and I said, Dave, we need to come up with something, a tool to help people be able to get to that number a little faster. And so we brought in our web guys, sat down, talked to them about what I wanted it to be able to do, and they built it. And lo and behold, we have the RIQ right now. How's it work? So I get in there. What do I do? Well, you're going to go in, and you're going to plug in a few data points. You're going to plug in how much you want to live on per month in retirement and how many years that you want to retire and how much you currently have saved. Putting in those data points, and then you click calculate, and it's going to show you Number one, how much you need, the big number you need to be able to retire and live your dream. Then it's going to show you exactly how much the money you've already got saved, what it'll grow to. And then it's going to show you, which I love, how much you need to be investing right now to be able to reach that dream. And so you're right. It is very practical. I wanted people to be able to see that and be able to see, okay, I need to invest $509 right now to be able to live my dream. That becomes very practical and tactical because you look at it and you understand I've got a car payment that's $525. So if I sell that car, I can take that money and start to, and that's the moment I want people to have is that moment of clarity and understanding. Well, it's huge because what you essentially have done with this tool and the book is you take one of the biggest daunting, it's just a, it's a terrifying conversation for so many people. Unfortunately, you want to change that. I do because I, I I don't want people to have the fear side of it because fear doesn't motivate you very well. No. Like it'll do it initially, but then you'll fall off. I want people to be motivated by the, the, the desire to live their dream, to do the things their heart wants to do. And so that's why we start with the RIQ with the dream section. So if you're married, I want you to sit down with your spouse and have a dream date. I want you to talk about what are the things you want to do in retirement. My wife wants to travel the world, okay, and, and I'm trying to find somebody to take her. All right, no, I'm just playing. We yeah. both are going to travel. <laughs> We're both going to do it. But it's that negotiating, and it's amazing. When people start talking about their heart's desire, they get motivated. They do. And I want more people living their dream, not waking up working another 12-hour shift. All right, folks, so there it is. So what this does, and again, I want our, our entire audience, because I don't care who you are, at some point, this becomes a discussion that you need to have. And so if you go to chrishogan360.com, you punch in the numbers. Chris just laid it out for you. Here's what happens. Now, all of a sudden, you have an attainable goal. I love what you said. You knock a $500 car payment out, get a weekend job, you know, it brings in three, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars $800 a month. All of a sudden, you're on the road. Oh, absolutely. It's, it is truly achievable once you know what you're up against. And I think that's the thing. A lot of people don't understand it. Everybody tends to think retirement has to do with how old you are. And that's a lie. Retirement's not an age. It's a financial number. Mm -hmm. And so to all the leaders out there listening to the podcast, now it's a matter of you leading yourself towards your dream, helping your team lead themselves to their dream. This is something we can do. I want more 40 and 50-somethings walking around living their dream, not doing things they don't want to do. How many books come in a case? Well, uh, there are uh, 24. All right. The reason I asked that question, he's looking at me like, why'd you ask me that question? I'm going to tell you why. Uh, Folks, as leaders, for anyone who's listening to the sound of our voices right now, and you lead a team of people, uh, whether you're the ultimate leader as the CEO or maybe you are a leader within the organization, but you have a team that you are responsible to lead and lead well, this issue is one of the biggest issues in the individual American's economy. It really is. How are they going to retire well and finish well when they get older? 
And so this book, Retire Inspired, hits stores January the 11th. I'm telling you, we're going to offer you right now an incredible deal to pre-order the book. And Chris, I'm just going to say it. You won't. I'm going to say it. I know Dave would say it. This is a book that all leaders should continue consider rather buying a case of books or more or multiple cases for your team because you walk alongside people on this very important issue. Well, and it's one of those things when you look at it from a leader's perspective, what are you supposed to do? As leaders, our job is to take people to a destination that's worth going. And you're helping them not only in their workplace and their jobs, but you're helping them in their marriages. You're helping them in, the, in their lives. And so you have an opportunity to be able to influence them and help them. Um, I can tell you, Ken, first and foremost for me, I'll never forget my first real job in Pennsylvania right out of grad school. My leader there at the bank, I'll never forget him getting the 401k forms and making me fill it out. He goes, fill this out. And I'm like, what is it? He goes, it's a thing that you're going to thank me for later. Okay, <laughs> now like that's that. against all kinds of laws. Oh, sure. You know, you can't make people. No. But I'll tell you what, I'm glad he had the initiative. Yes. I'm glad he did that because I'm able to look each and every month and I think about that leader. Boy, that's true. I remember Chuck because Chuck signed me up for that and got me moving forward. And now my life is going to be different. Hey, folks, every leader worth their weight in salt wants to leave some type of legacy. This is legacy stuff we're talking about. Yeah. So, Chris, let's tell them about the pre-order offer. So here's the deal. You can buy the book, and you can get it for $20. That's our special. That's the discount off the cover price. But we're going to give them $70 of stuff. Talk about that stuff. Yeah. Well, what we wanted to do was to really be able to give a lot of value for this $20. And so the $70 worth of stuff essentially is this, Ken. When the book comes out, we're going to send them a hardback copy. But they're also going to get the audio version of the book. And then they're going to get the ebook version of Retire Inspired. Plus, Dave is throwing in his latest book, yep. The Legacy Journey, the ebook version of it. And we're going to give them a DVD on the topic of investing. This is a topic everyone has questions on. So I'm teaching people about investing. And then finally, we're going to give them a PDF on budgeting. How do you budget for retirement? Because people have been able to plug into this and see it, and they've been able to find three and four hundred extra dollars to be able to throw toward their dream now instead of throwing toward debt. So this is good stuff, great stuff that we're going to give to you if you pre-order the book. And listen, we say this at all our live events. I'm going to say it here now. Uh, unapologetically, we want to drive Chris's book to the number one spot on the New York Times list because of the need and the massive need that this book will help solve. And this is a leadership issue. It's not just a retirement book. This is for leaders. It's for everybody. So, Chris, where do we send them uh, so they can get the book now? What's the best site? Well, they can go to DaveRamsey.com and click on the Retire Inspired and be able to find the book and be able to see the whole bundle on there of the $70 worth of items we just told them about. All right, so it's all there, DaveRamsey.com. You can't miss it, front and center. And that's where you go. You can pre-order the book. And like we said, when the book hits, we will mail the book to you with all of the other amazing stuff. And again, I, I really want to challenge you to consider a case, two, three, four, five, whatever fits your organization and your budget. Because this is such an important issue. And, uh, buddy, I, we're going to have you back on. This was fun. We wanted to talk about the book. We're going to have you back on in January to get this, the year started out right. Let's tease that conversation. What are we going to tell folks? Well, I'm going to give them some really, Ken, some, some money principles they need to watch out for as leaders. If you, like can, if you can avoid these eight things, I think you're going to set yourself up for financial success. Folks, we need to be thinking about that. Another year is coming. 2016 will be here, and Chris is going to get us started off in January, so stay tuned for that, pal. Always good to hear your voice bellowing in my ears. Well, thank you for having me, my friend. 
Hey folks, I want to remind you, if you haven't heard us talk about a brand new format for Entree Leadership Master Series. It's now a four-day event. The dates are March 13 through 17 of 2016. Four days here at our headquarters in Nashville, Tennessee. Chris Hogan, Christy Wright joining Dave Ramsey as we literally unpack the playbook for Entree Leadership. But here's what's different. Okay, beyond the team building, hiring, firing, compensation, communication, and everything else that we teach out of the Entree Leadership Playbook, we're doing something different, and we think it's going to be a big win. We've heard from you. This is what you want. We're giving it to you. The final day of the four days is dedicated to complete application of everything you learned in the three previous days. So this is nitty-gritty, in-the-trenches, super application from a practical level so that you can actually begin leading as soon as you hit the ground back in your environment. EntreeLeadership.com slash EMS for more details and to sign up. EntreeLeadership.com slash EMS. Well, folks, it's the most wonderful time of the year, as the song goes. And uh, I hope you know that we very much value the opportunity to speak to you on a weekly basis to add value to you we appreciate you so very much so i don't want to skim over this this is a great time of the year as we enjoy the season of christmas and we spend time with family and we take inventory as we peek into a new year and so we want to tell you enjoy your christmas merry christmas on behalf of the entire Ramsey Solution team and our Entree Leadership team. We appreciate you. We'll talk with you again very soon.